Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to give our hot takes as UTSA squeaks out a win over Southern Miss and throws some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. The Roadrunners entered this game as a 33-point favorite, but uncharacteristic errors and poor execution on offense made this a much uglier win, but a win nonetheless. Southern Miss caught the Roadrunners off guard with her game plan, using running back Frank Gore to run the Wildcat and taking multiple delay of game penalties to keep the defense out of rhythm. After adjustments at halftime, the defense made some big plays in the second half, causing three turnovers in the fourth quarter. It was the spark the Roadrunners needed to overcome a lackluster performance on offense. Frank Harris did not look like the Frank we've seen this year, completing 56% of his passes for 227 yards. He threw two touchdowns, one to Josh Cephas and one to Leroy Watson, but he also threw two interceptions, one that Southern Miss returned for a touchdown. Sincere McCormick added a rushing touchdown, and Hunter Duplessis made two field goals. Overall, the Roadrunners did just enough to come away with a win, 27-17, and to stay undefeated this season. Overall, what were your thoughts on the, the game? Well, I think, you know, gut reaction when we were there was that the team played poor, that this was sort of a letdown. Um, but you know what? As we rewatched it, it still was tough to watch, first of all. And certainly you could see why it was frustrating for the UTSA team and for fans alike. But there's just a lot more of good around that I think that we just, we focused on what what wasn't happening. And that was the, the domination that you talked about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just want to be clear. I don't think this was a letdown game because... A letdown game to me would have been that we would have been flat over all three phases. We were not flat over all three phases. It was only really, I think, I would say one. One facet, and that was the offense, where we were flat. Special teams had, obviously, an unfortunate play that we can probably talk about in a little bit. But for the most part, I would say special teams did what they're supposed to. Defense did what they're supposed to. Offense just wasn't there. So that, to me, doesn't add up to letdown. Mm-hmm. It's... It's just how Southern Miss came out. So let's start with there. We did see a clip earlier in the week uh, before the game from the message boards where Southern Southern Miss fans were like, it looked like they were joking. They were like, hey, how about we just try some gimmicks and, you know, we'll see if we can uh, just frustrate UTSA and keep the score close. So, I mean, that always sounds easy, right? Like, you're going to come out, you're going to do some gimmicks at UTSA, but, you know, they're a good team. They're not going to fall for it. You know, they're, they're not... They're going to find a way to, like, overcome it. Mm-hmm. It might take them a couple series, but they'll, they'll figure it out. Well, they were actually successful in doing so. As you said, they came out in a wildcat with Frank Gore. So, right away, we knew that this wasn't going to be... A typical game. Right. And, and that, I think, was something that I, I couldn't predict in my too early prediction. I didn't know that they would think about coming out in the wildcat. I mean, you obviously imagine they might do it, like, one... You know, a couple couple plays, but right. not but not as their base offense. Correct, and and I think that's what really threw me off, and and I think really, when you look back at it, I think the big talking point at first was that Will Hall, as smart as it looked like to come out and do this, he realized early on he cannot just line up and go man to man with UTSA. He knew that he was going to have to do something in order to control the game and not let UTSA get any sort of rhythm. So he went to doing the wildcat, and most importantly, there was a lot of penalties in there. And even as I was watching the game, I realized what the penalties were doing. And then Trailer mentioned it afterwards. Because as they got all these penalties, 
they just kept draining the clock even more. Mm-hmm. So they're just whittling the clock down, play clock down, snapping the ball around like one second left, you know. And, you know, really just kind of slowing the game down and like just putting really a big emphasis on execution, which they didn't really execute, to be honest. But <clears throat> it was frustrating because they were they were just trying to do enough to try to stay in the game. And I mean, you, you got to understand that, too, that they've they've been disrespected. They've, they've been said that they're a 33 point underdog. So Will Hall figured out, like, this is how we're going to do it. He says so uh, as much in the postgame press conference that, look. We're, we're going to run this offense, we're, and we're going to keep it close in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and the other thing that I don't think most <clears throat> fans that were at the game would have been aware of was just how many injuries and you know different things that have happened to Southern Miss over the course of the year. They're only playing with 62 scholarship players. So right there tells you they don't have the depth. They've had injuries. They may have had other factors, you know, that have happened. I mean, obviously, we don't know everything that's gone into it. But for a team like Southern Miss to be playing with 62 scholarship players is really, you know, an odd situation. And it's a really it puts them at a, a disadvantage right away. And they played something like eight or nine quarterbacks over the course of the season. So they, you know, we look at last season and we look at us, you know, being in the situation where we had to go down to our fourth string quarterback. We didn't have to go past our fourth string quarterback, but imagine if we did. You know, at some point you you run out of your QB room and you right. have to go to whatever option. I mean, I almost picture this as like Will Hall walking into the locker room one day and saying, Okay guys, if you ever played quarterback in high school, I want you to raise your hand. All right, well you five that raised your hand, I'm gonna need you to go over here with the quarterback coach and uh, let's see what you got. We'll take the best two or three of you because the guys that they ended up playing had played quarterback in high school, but had not played quarterback in the in the collegiate level. So, I mean, obviously this is, you know, it's like we got nothing left, Southern Miss. You know, we're just going to throw the kitchen sink at you. Right, and, and Trailer said as much afterwards. But even to that, I, I think, you know, something they did with that offense was that they slowed the game down, but they also gave time for their defense to rest. Right. So... You know, when you're predicting the game, or you're looking at what Southern Miss can do, you realize, well, they, if they can't execute on offense, that means it's going to be quick three downs. Mm-hmm. So that just means that UTSA can take control of that. And so by doing what they did, they allowed that defense to rest, which, you know, happens from time to time. But then you couple that with our lack of execution on offense. Right. And so now you have, you have a Southern Miss defense that came out and did something that I honestly, I thought UAB would do. And that's press our receivers and force Frank Harris to essentially be Bailey Zappi and try to, like, pick us apart around the field. And that's not his strength. Like, that, that's just not what he's done. And I've said it before. Even as I complimented him, I said, but watch out because that's not – this is not his strength. He can't just sit back at, sit back there, excuse me, and just pick apart a defense. That's, that's not what he does. He's ready for that first or second read. And as soon as they're open, he lets it rip. In this game, like, you know, outside of a couple times where it seemed like he was pressured, there was just a lot of times where he was clearly off rhythm and he was quite inaccurate. So we can go into that in a little bit. But, I mean, other than that, I would say overall thoughts were just, and I kept telling you during the game, was Southern Miss is just mucking this game up. That's all they're doing. They're, mm-hmm. they're just trying to essentially play, like, junkyard ball 
and just trying to mess with UTSA's rhythm, and it's succeeding. And so, what is Trailer going to do to like change this? Unfortunately, his quarterback was off uh, yesterday, and it just it just didn't seem to work until the very end when we finally. Unfortunately, I'm going to say it this way, and we'll explain why. But we won in spite of Frank Harris's performance. Right. So you want to talk more about the offense since we're kind of already there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, um, we we couldn't get much push um, at first, and I, and I, th- I mean, again, you know, when you've got a fresh defense, it, it allows you to get a little bit more push. But you know, one thing we didn't realize was just maybe how that right tackle, and that was Matt Mackay Hart going down um, during pregame warmups how that, I think, affected potentially the offense. Because even though they prepare their players, like UTSA prepares their players, and they've got the depth to do so, it seemed like that really seemed to throw the the offense off. And I don't know why. Because we've had players go down during game, and there's been no drop-off. We've talked about how there's no drop-off in performance. Or maybe there's right. a, a couple of plays before they get into rhythm and they get going, right? So it just seemed odd that, like, that was singled out. So I've never had somebody go down like that. You're like, okay, so what did you have planned? You must have had something planned then that uh, Makai Hart, you know, was going to be really key on. But it wasn't like there was a bunch of pressure off that right side where you felt like, okay, well, you know, that's what affected Frank. No, there really wasn't. So I just think Frank had an off day. I think it was one of those games where he does what he usually does, but... Like, he'll float those balls to the outside, but those passes were floating out of bounds this game as opposed to actually staying in. And one thing that's frustrated me with him has been that there are times when he rolls or he'll be in the pocket and he does sort of like a hop, and it's more of a, he just throws with his arm. Like, cool, we know that you're probably trying to show off that arm strength, but here's the deal. His arm isn't very strong. We all know that. Like, that's nothing new. But if he would just plant and actually throw the ball... And when he does, and he has done it previously, especially against UTEP, he's quite successful. And so he just had a tough game. Um, I, I thought it was curious. Like, Trailer didn't want to, um, didn't really want to, like, uh, criticize him at the end of the game. Right. Post game, he said, Frank's a winner. He's a quarterback, and his team won the game. That's what's most important. That's all he would say about it. And I think we both looked at each other afterwards and we were like, well, that's a curious thing to say. Like, I mean, why not say something? Like, yeah, he I had mean, a bad game. That, and this is one of the things that just kind of frustrates me a little bit with Trailer. It's like, we he hesitates to criticize his players in post-game or in any of the interviews. And it's not like people are looking for this criticism, like for him to bash Frank or to talk trash about one of his players. Right. I mean... If he did that, we would know that all of his talk about culture pillars was, you know, just a bunch of crap because that's not, you know, aligned with his culture. So nobody's looking for that. But one of the other things that Trailer constantly says is that, you know, he wants to be known not just for being a coach, but for someone who helps, you know, make men out of boys and help them to become better people. Well, at some point you have to be able to offer criticism in a constructive way you know, publicly when it comes to these, you know, players. It's like, especially if they're going to move on to the next level, to the NFL, because they're going to get criticized publicly. And that doesn't mean you have to say something really bad or negative. It could have been as much as saying, yeah, Frank didn't have a good game. I'm not concerned about it. I know that Frank can play, you know, up to a higher standard. We're going to work through it at practice. I have the utmost confidence in Frank. 
but just saying, yeah, Frank didn't have a good day. Some of his, his throws were off. We're going to work on it. That's not some kind of, you know, overly negative statement or something that should be, you know, soul crushing to Frank Harris. I mean, he even said in his post game, yeah, I didn't have, you know, basically owned up that he didn't have a good game. He didn't really know why. But I mean, it's just one of those things that's kind of baffling to me. It's like, look, just, you know, instead of trying to dodge the question or say something that's, you know, just sort of weird and evasive, like, yeah, just own it up. Be honest. You talk about being transparent. Again, I'm sure he is giving that feedback and he's probably much more um, transparent (laughs) in his communication to Frank or Barry Lunny, but you can be honest with the media without being overly critical. Right. And, And going back to what you said, like, this is what we saw with Trailer. This is what Lisa Campos even cited as part of the reason to give that 10 year contract. So if that's not, if that culture is being kind of pushed to the side all of a sudden and we're just trying to defend and shield Frank, therein lies a huge issue because now this is no longer about culture. Now we're just trying to protect guys. And yeah, it's either that or Trailer feels like if he, you know, if he doesn't deflect, he'll answer it with um, more honesty than he's prepared to give to the media. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a fair point too. It's just, but I think that's that's the problem, right? The, there's transparency up to a point. We all know that. We all get that. But let's be honest. He had a bad game. Yeah. Maybe he was. They were seeing things out there that were really fooling him. I just po- pointed to a couple things that I saw that they were pressing those receivers and they were forcing Frank to go away from his first and second options. So if I know that, it's clear that, you know, any other defensive coordinator could know that. There's other things that yeah, are going on. Yeah, you're not on. giving away some kind of, like, secret. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I just said, he's he's that's not what he's great at, like, picking apart a defense like that. So it's fine. But just say, look, it, some of these things just didn't happen. Yeah, and, and, he, and he made the other comment that they were too cute on offense, which I thought was kind of odd because I didn't really see them. It's not like they made a trick or they were – trying to run a trick play. Like, they were trying to run plays that they would typically run um, or make passes that they would typically make, but because Frank wasn't in the rhythm, those passes weren't successful. I, I didn't understand that comment about being too cute on offense. It just didn't make sense to me. And, you know, this, this is, the, I think, the fun part about actually doing this podcast or even looking back, if anybody actually listens to some of these post-game interviews, because I feel like, trailers post game comments at times sometimes they're just kind of spot on but lately they've started to get a little bit hazier and it's weird because they contradict what even the players will come back and say later mm-hmm. it's he has a version of the game that he wants to write as a narrative but nobody's writing that and nobody's right. seeing that so it, it's quite interesting i mean otherwise on offense i would say that like look you had guys that try to make impacts it's again back going to going back to what you said when your quarterback is off and he's making these challenging passes it makes it so difficult to to make the plays i mean Cephas was open a couple times one of the times was in the second half where frank right after throwing that pick six like comes back and he sails this ball like essentially out of bounds Cephas still makes the catch but he was so wide open that i would say in the even back against utep if he he would have kept that ball in bounds, would have given Josh at least an opportunity to get downfield because that's really what was going on. Was that Frank being off caused a lot of issues that really cascaded to the other parts of the game. So, look, 
you know, looking overall at the offense, I did want to ask you one more question. I know you're probably focusing too much on the offense, but um, we've talked about, like, Frank, or, like, at the very least, we've mm-hmm. talked about, like, Frank being called, having the keys to the offense, per what Trailer has said. But my question to you, and it was more of just sort of like, I wonder why, was why does he keep looking to the sidelines? Like, it, 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 and I'm not just talking about this game. Like, it's been, like, previous games where he's all of a sudden, like, stops and they start looking at the sideline. Right. Which is fine, like, if you're controlling the tempo, but if you really want to get him into rhythm, one of the ways they used to get, or they usually get him into rhythm is to give him those quick slants. There were no quick slants that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, this game. There was different, I think, pass routes. So while I think it's easy to say, hey, this is a letdown, maybe part of the too cute too was the fact that Lunny got a little ambitious with the offensive game plan. Maybe they tried to throw in some deep shots that they thought that they could take and they could take advantage of and that would put this game away quickly. I mean, going back to what Trailer said, like if, if they're able to execute an offense early on and, you know, put up a couple scores, Southern Miss is dead in the water because they can't run this offense the rest of the game. They right. they no longer can can operate like that. And we saw what happened when they got behind. They they just struggled. So I guess it's just a disappointing offensive feat. I think we could probably talk 20 more minutes on this, but let's go on to the defense because that is something great to talk about. I just thought overall the defense played great. They gave up third fewest yards of this season. Yet, I think the narrative that fans will look at was it was so frustrating because they couldn't get off the field. Well, they couldn't get off the field because there were so many penalties, and it really was sort of that three yards in a cloud of dust type of offense who right. were like Southern Miss kind of just would get just a couple yards, and then they would bleed the clock for about a minute and a half because it was a penalty. So these drives were taking like five, six, seven minutes to go like 20 yards, and that was... Again, frustrating for fans to watch because you had thirty thousand in the, you know, in the dome, and you just you can't get anybody into that rhythm. Um, did you see anything on defense that you you liked? Well, I thought the interesting thing was that at the post game trailer said that they were preparing for Gore in this wildcat um, offense, but then when they asked the players, that's not the response that they got from the players. So. While he may have been preparing for Gore to be the primary offensive weapon, I don't. It, it just didn't seem like they were really preparing for Gore to play the Wildcat, um, and I think that it took them a while to get there. The other thing that was, you know, kind of interesting was they said the player said that they went back to their base defense um, in the second half, and that was the adjustment they made, and that they were playing better because of that. Um, and they've done that in multiple games now. So it's interesting that, you know, we try to set up our defense with a different look based on the offense, and then it doesn't work, and we end up going back to our base defense, which is just contradictory to what you would normally see, um, right. you know, in play. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it sounds like, and, and I think this is where some of the issues were earlier in the year, where, you know, we had gotten a question about, well, how do we solve these issues of, like, the pass coverage and why it keeps breaking down. And I said, well, you have to simplify things. You have to simplify the calls and make sure. And continually, you've heard that. To your point, you heard that in Western Kentucky when he said, oh, yeah, we started out with, you know, only two down linemen or whatever. And then we went to our base package. 
And you get that there's a lot of versatility in that base package, but what is it during the week during practice that you feel like you've done really well that all of a sudden you have to go, ah, yeah, I'm going to go back to what we were doing. Like, right. it just seems bizarre. It seems like, is just the team not ready for what you're wanting to do and why aren't they executing then? Or have you just over, I think trailer's words are, we give the players too much. Okay, well, how, how many times doing that is it going to take for you to learn that that's not the right Right. approach. I mean, and if it's successful, then why don't you just do that all of the time? Why do you start out with these other and then have to go back? You know? Right, exactly. So, you know, I think one thing to, to state here for the defense was they really only gave up a, a field goal. Um, you know, that touchdown that they gave up was a short field. But even on that touchdown, I thought I had seen it, but I was like, nah, maybe, you know, again, when you're in the stands, you think you see something at times, and you're like, no, no, I, I need to see the rewatch. On the rewatch, that whole left line, left side of the Southern Miss line, moved. Yeah. And it was it was so obvious, and it, it was so bizarre that no ref threw a flag. Like, I, I, I couldn't believe it, because you could see, if you're watching the ball, you could see the left guard, like, all of a sudden sort of do, like, a... I'd say a 70s disco move where he like just kind of rolls his his um both his arms uh yeah. like in a circle. And so like if you're doing a legal procedure call against the offense, right? So it was just bizarre that that happened. Well, and it's not like they weren't calling those type I mean they were making those calls <laughs> right. over and over and over again. So it's just like, okay, so they get into the red zone and you're like, well, I just let them have this one. Yeah, okay. it just felt like, oh yeah, we're we're betting on this game too. So we needed to cover, right? Um but um, it, that one was just a bizarre thing, and you could tell that UTSA was thrown off by it, too. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, like, you've got guys starting early, and you're not ready. So, um, you know, that was just one thing to note. But I w- would say that there was one big criticism I had. I felt like the defensive coaches took too long to adjust to this Wildcat. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Maybe it was those packages that they had put in. But even so, I get that when you first come out, you see that, on the first drive, you see that and you're like, okay, they're not going to do it again. And then they come out in the second drive and they do it again. And then at that point, why are you not like, okay, hey guys, here's how we're going to defend the Wildcat. More than that, I would have liked to see them challenge the Southern Miss quarterbacks, and I put them in quotation marks, um, challenge them to beat UTSA over the top. Because I don't think they could. I know Frank Gore got threw a dime on one of those passes, but challenge him more, like force him to like make those passes because I want to bet that he can't consistently do that. I mean, if Southern Mess was rolling the dice and hoping that, you know, and and figuring that uh, taking these easy plays away from Frank, like why aren't we taking those plays away from, from the, um, from their offense? It, It just seemed a little bit bizarre. That's it. I guess we'll move on to the special teams here. Lucas Dean, I joked about it last week, and yeah. lo and behold, he showed up, and man, did he show up. Yeah, you know, thank goodness that he did, because, um, you know, he hasn't punted in a while, and we haven't had him had a need for him to punt, but uh, this was one of those games where we needed him to do it, and we needed him to pin him inside the 10-yard line, and man, he was that's fact, what he did. Brilliant. I mean, just some of those punts were just absolutely brilliant. You know, I, I see punts like that, and like... I get why Trailer says, hey, you have to field some of these punts. But on the other hand, like the way that Dean punts them, not only high, and you imagine that there's just enough spin on them to make them go into the end zone, 
but man, he he's able to uh, really manufacture that kick into like really rolling sideways or rolling backwards, um, giving the coverage team a chance to like field that ball and pin him deep. So, yeah. just excellent work from Lucas Dean. Unfortunately, Duplessis had a missed field goal, um, but other than that, I didn't feel like there was like his other kicks were fine. Yeah. Um, the kickoff that that we blew. It, it felt like he might have miskicked it or put it in an area where he shouldn't have because it looked like Southern Miss had more blockers than UTSA had coverage guys. Right. And UTSA seemed to be late to get over there. Um, actually, one of the guys that was there that probably could have tried to make a play on the, on the ball carrier earlier was Hunter. You don't I, really want your kicker to be <laughs> the one um, tackling. I mean, he did end up with the tackle... Um, listed in the stats, it it was not that one. I don't think I didn't quite catch it again in the replay. But you know, you don't typically want your kicker to be the person who is tackling. But um, I mean, this is a hole. Yeah. So that's yeah. one thing to take in consideration. But on the other hand, you're right. I mean, that's he shouldn't be the one that's making that that play. That said, it was just odd that he was right in the mix because um, I think it was needed. Right. Uh, again, it seemed like he had placed in the wrong spot, and that's why they got that big um, kickoff return. One of the, the funny points of uh, the special teams was watching um, Pastucci on one of the uh, returns. So he's... Oh, the punt. You mean the one of the downed punts by uh, yeah. <laughs> for Dean, yes. Yeah, he, he, exactly. He was trying to celebrate with, um, I think it was Tyler Monkey. and he goes up to try to like kind of like chest bump him, but then he just like falls. <laughs> <laughs> for no reason whatsoever and it's even funnier because there was a story that trailer said earlier in one of the interviews this past i think it was this past week that um trailer had said pastucci had like fallen down the stairs at the race facility and that was one of the reasons why he was injured and had been out it's like apparently this dude just cannot stay on his feet you know yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> some problems well, we do want to say that Hunter scored his 101 points in 2021, which now is tops in program history. Um, he passed Sean Ayana, who happened to just be there and was one of the honor one of the honorees there at uh, the fourth quarter. Um, the only other thing I'll say about the special teams, which I thought again comes back from Trailer's post game um, notes, he said that the UTSA did not take advantage of Southern Miss's uh, special teams. He said that there's been some points scored off of that coverage teams um I, I would say sticks didn't try to really field punts i mean there's really only two yeah. punts um that, that he had a field and even then um the the kickoffs were well into the end zone so right. while i think that there was something potentially i think on film to take advantage of the other thing that i think at times maybe utsa isn't taken uh into account is the fact that you're now in the dome and so you don't have the wind or anything, and so there might be things that are causing somebody to kick it short or just not cover well, and because of it, you know, there are the problems. That and the fact that it was mentioned on the rewatch that um, the announcer said that Will Hall asked most of his starters to play on special teams. So you're talking about playing on offense, then going to special teams, you know, playing on defense, playing special teams. That's a lot of work, and for a team that's down as much as you said it was, that's how a team wears down, and I think that's how this game went. It ended up wearing down. It wasn't the prettiest. I know that he said, and all you know, trailer said that all these wins, you know, there isn't really. They're all pretty to him. Yeah, they're all beautiful to him. Yeah, no. Regardless, that was ugly. yeah, it was an ugly, ugly win. It was an ugly win, but 
much to your point, it was a win nonetheless. I guess we'll move on now. What did we learn from the game? Well, San Antonio showed up for the runners. Um, they had an attendance of 30,105. Uh, another great turnout from the student section, which, yeah. by, by the way, at this point, student section, now that they're finally consistently showing up, I don't think that's going to be a problem. It just makes the atmosphere better. But, I mean, obviously winning helps there. But, you know, it was also good to see, like, at the end of last week's episode, you had talked about the fact that, you know, it was an orange out. And so it was really cool to see that there were enough people that took um, orange shirts. So Yeah, by and large. I mean, it, it looked like a sea of orange when you, you know, kind of see the photos, the panoramic view of the Alamo Dome or even on TV. Um, I mean, obviously not every single person was wearing orange, but it was definitely enough that it made a, it made a difference. Yeah, and they were loud and disruptive. I mean, let's be honest, like, even though the game was close, it it never seemed like the, the crowd waned too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously because of some of the ways that Southern Miss was playing, it, it did, there were some lulls, but that's natural. I mean, you're going to have big plays from, you know, our opponents, and so that's going to quieten the crowd down. Uh, but for the most part, there wasn't, like, so many big plays by Southern Miss that you felt like it just completely took the, the crowd out. Right. And if you were there at the very end of the game, when they sang the alma mater, there was still a really large amount of people that were there at the game at the very end that were there for the alma mater. Many, many more than what you would typically see. I mean, even when we've had, you know, games where we've won, you've still seen people, you know, filtering out, um, you know, before the alma mater or not staying at that point. So it was really cool to see that many people stay and sing the alma mater. It was, you know, a pretty cool moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what did you think about the, the 30,000, though? Like, we've had big crowds before, but what did you think about this one? Well, you know, the thing that I thought was interesting is if you go back and you look over the last couple of seasons at when we've had those crowds, I mean, usually it's because we've had a team that has traveled well. So yeah, we had 40 plus thousand in the dome a couple of years ago when Baylor was um, in town, but it was because Baylor brought fans. Um, we had 30,000 last year, or was it last year or the year before that, 2019 with the um, army. Right. But again, it's because people showed up to see the army. So you really have to go back. Honestly, I mean, I was looking back year over year in attendance to see when was the team that we played that it felt like probably didn't travel and you know the crowd was there to see UTSA and honestly I had to go back to 2014 to really see a game where I felt like okay they probably you know had a, a, an opponent that didn't travel well where those fans were coming and they were UTSA fans and so and this time sure there were some people that were there for Southern Miss but it was a UTSA crowd by and large. Right. And then that's again good to see. I mean obviously with the winning starts you start bringing in the fans and I think to your point about like it having so many uh, people in the in orange I think we're also starting to get some of the alumni back mm-hmm. uh, some people that haven't been to games in a, in a while so Really good to see the crowd, and hopefully, I think over the next, at least next game, we should see, uh, you know, more uh, UTSA fans, just because we're now really getting to the crucial games. I think the other thing that we learned um, this week was that teams are figuring out how to defend this road in our offense. I mean, obviously, we know Sincere McCormick and some of his inside runs, he usually bounces those runs out sometimes, and so 
we give different looks that way. Mm-hmm. But we did play a stretch of like undermanned teams that, you know, we were able to take advantage of this. But Southern Miss caught on to something. And again, I said it earlier about how they press the receivers and they um, sent some pressure up up to Frank. Um, and then they also like took away some of the, his first two options. He likes early down play play action passes. Um, you know, really just sort of like an out or a streak to one of the receivers. First, the first interception um, that he had was essentially a play action pass where he short armed that throw to um, J T Clark. He loves those passes, and we've seen them hit plenty of times. But when they don't hit, that's when things start kind of falling apart. Right. Uh, but they fooled him on that one because they essentially, I thought, played like a cover two where they dropped the cornerback. Um, off of, I think it was JT, uh, it was, I think, Franklin. Franklin, I think, um, was outside, stayed short, and they, the guy that was inside guarding JT left JT, allowed the cornerback to take him, and then they brought a safety over. So they started figuring what Frank likes to do, and I think it just became, you know, UTSA's predictable. And maybe that's why they're trying to bring in new plays, but, you know, it, it's you start to wonder here, it's like, have we started getting... Have teams started really figuring us out and, you know, are people catching up to us? And is that going to cause, you know, potentially a loss down the road? The season wears on. There's only so much execution you can have on certain plays. Right. At some point, people catch on and it's going to be a different ball game. I think the, so I think the third thing we learned was that Trailer made some odd post-game comments that seemed to contradict the team. You actually were uh, kind of alluding to it earlier when we were talking about Frank. Um, but here's a quote that he made, and I'm going to read it to you, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. I think your kids feel the burden and the weight of the city and knowing the responsibility they have getting the program turned around. And that shouldn't be on 18 to 23-year-old men. Those kids should be having the time of their life. I don't want them to feel any extra pressure, but we're smart enough to realize it's a bigger game than normal. We just all have to be very careful that we don't put too much on those kids. I thought tonight was the first time we looked like we might have felt like we had a little bit extra on our shoulders. What's your reaction to that? Well, I thought it was an interesting quote from him because it was one of the first times we've seen Trailer like offer up excuses for why his team didn't execute. If he has his culture pillars in place the way that he says he does, then they're preaching control the controllables. And putting having the weight of the city on your shoulder, that's not something you can control. I mean, that is a culture pillar violation right there. So right. it was kind of interesting to me for him to say that, like, where is this weight coming from? Because, you know, even though these kids are on Twitter and you do see them interacting with the fans and you do see them getting upset when people are betting against them or, or whatever, you don't necessarily see people tweeting at the players or responding back to the players like there's any expectations on them. Right. I mean, it seems like the, the interactions between the fans and the players have been more about, you know, maybe we didn't think that, that this was a game we were going to win, and then they're responding back, well, you know, you, you should have believed in us. It's not really like a fan or people in the city, you don't see that on Twitter, them coming at the, at the players like, you have to win this game, or why did you play badly against Southern Miss. Like, you're not seeing that kind of interaction. So I thought it was sort of interesting. It's like, where is this pressure coming from? And I think another thing that we had talked about was potentially the fact that this team is ranked, right? It's something that it hasn't happened in school history. 
with that shirt comes the pressure, but it's, like you said, it's not coming from the fans. It seems to be an internal pressure. Right. So why are you talking about that? Like, that should have been nothing he brought up in terms of, you know, an issue, unless he's going to point to it and say, hey, we played bad because we're pressuring ourselves into this. Okay, cool. But it made it sound like we're the ones putting that pressure on there. And it's like, you told us earlier in the year, or you told us actually week to week, if the worst thing that happens is that they lose a game, oh well. Okay, cool. And you also said, was it two games? I think it was um, Louisiana Tech where he said, you know, I don't want my kids to fear losing. Right. So if that's the case, yeah, of course fans are going to be disappointed. Of course we might say like, oh, Frank played a bad game and we lost. Okay, that's just criticism, right? But in the end, that doesn't mean that we like them any less. And it just makes it seem like we're the ones... Or that we're going to stop coming to see right. them, you know? So it just, it just feels weird for him to have said that. And again, maybe this is why he doesn't criticize some of his players on the postgame. Because it was sort of... You know, honestly, if you look at this quote again, it really came out kind of wonky. And I don't think that this is really what he was trying to say. I mean, when you go back to the part about that shouldn't there shouldn't be pressure on 18 to 23-year-old men... Well, that's what happens when you play Division One football and you're successful. If you look at the most successful programs, if we were to look at Georgia today, if we were to look at Alabama, Cincinnati, there is pressure on those kids right now. And yeah, you know, does it stink when they lose? Do you not want the players or the fans to turn against them when they lose? I mean, it, like we talked about before, like it's one thing to say Frank had a bad day. It's a different thing to go after Frank. You right. Know? But... That's just part of playing the game at a high level in college football. I mean, it's just the way that the system is set up. And you have to understand that when you get ranked and you have expectations and you have a successful season, there are there is going to be pressure because everyone is going to be trying to beat the undefeated team. Right. But that's not pressure that's being brought on by the fans. It's just, it's just what comes with it. And like you said, with Cincinnati... They have bigger pressure because they have an opportunity to play for the New Year's Six. Well, they be in the playoff. They have the pressure of the group of five on, right. on their shoulders. You know? And UTSA doesn't have that pressure because no matter what, they're not going to make it high enough to do that. It's just fun to say we're ranked. So, yeah, where that pressure is coming from, I don't know. If it's if it's their own pressure, great. That's for you guys to, to deal a, with it. They're going to have to find a way to address that before the UAB game next week. But I think going back to something you've alluded to before is... That's what the culture pillars are for. Mm-hmm. That's what all of that's for. So you need to lean on your own culture to address this. Don't look at the media or the fans for for us to be, you know, backing off on them because we're not pr- applying that pressure. You're applying your own pressure. That said, this is another thing I think we learned. It's new territory to continue a school history and making winning streak. I, I really don't believe that, that the team looked past Southern Miss. I, you know, again, you have a team that came out here and played a style that we weren't ready for. And it's clear, like, even through all the discussions we've had already, I hope that we've at least gotten through to any listeners that we were, nobody was expecting this. Nobody was for the prolonged amount of time that they did it. All right, it happened. But with success comes some, you know, comes prosperity, and the team is now being asked to do more interviews. Now that they're, they're not as focused, they're not getting as much time to maybe study. They're not, study whether it's school or you know the playbook so more demands on time now you have to start juggling things so if you do want to say like the pressure might be coming somewhere 
Maybe it's that, but that's a controllable. That's something you can control because you can say, nope, we're not going to do, you know, we're not going to do this many interviews. Frank's only going to do two. You know, you can do two spots this week, but you can't do any more because we need to focus on what's on well, what we Well, you also wonder too, are, because these kids are successful, you know, they have these NIL agreements. They're being asked to do things that are outside of the team. So is that part of it as well? I mean, you've seen, you know, Frank and Sincere and Rashad, and really Rashad and, and Sincere more than any of the other players doing these other advertisements and spots. And, um, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily impacted their level of play on the field. But again, it may be just another thing that's taking time away from really focusing and preparing on the, the next game. And again, success comes prosperity. So you're going to benefit from this, but there are going to be new demands that you now have to take care of. Mm-hmm. Going back to the culture pillars are should be taking care of this, and you should be leaning on that to help you with this. All right, last one is just a fun one I wanted to throw out to you, what we learned. You get really snippy with me when UTSA is losing and not playing well. I made a couple comments it's true. During, the game, <laughs> during the game, specifically when... Uh, Frank Gore, I think it was like near the end of the first half. He was, um, he's kind of like rushing to the outside and, you know, he got tackled and, you know, the ball popped out. So it looked like it was a fumble and everybody was celebrating, oh, it's a fumble. And I was like, nah, he was down. And what was your response? (laughs) I said, sometimes I just need you to be a homework. (laughs) Because the thing that you guys need to understand about Toves here is that he takes a very analytical approach to any sports team that he watches. And so, you know, you're not going to hear him fall in love with any player, fall in love with any coach, any team. He's very analytical in how he approaches everything and looks at everything. So when you have those big plays, you know, whether it's UTSA or, you know, you're watching the NFL and it's one of those pass interference calls that everyone's getting worked up about and did it change the game and Ben is very very analytical in the way that he looks at it and he's never looks at it from that homer perspective and sometimes when you're in a game where you're getting frustrated you just need to be a homer (laughs) and i think the part that she forgets is that before the um big leroy watson touchdown i all of a sudden said there it is and i leapt up uh, i got out of my seat and frank threw the ball right to leroy and he scored a touchdown we forget those moments, but yes, I do get very analytical. It just was hilarious to hear you get snippier during the game, and I'll say, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, you're mad at the team. Don't, don't get mad at me. <laughs> don't get mad at the Toes. Toes is doing fine. I'm not mad at and the team. Yes. I was mad at the situation. <laughs> and yes, I just talked third, third person. It's fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I thought I'd throw this in there because I thought it'd be just a fun little discussion topic. Okay, so let's talk players of the game. I'm taking a different approach this week because I really felt like this was more of team play, and I really couldn't see one player that was really key to this. So I'm just going to talk a little bit generally about a couple players, maybe throw in a couple stats for us, uh, and we'll go from there. So let's start out with the um, offensive side. Josh Cephas and Lebor Watson, I thought, played well. The problem is is that they were impacted by the fact that Frank did not have a good game. I mean, Josh and Leeward can only do so much um, to either catch the ball. They, they can't throw the ball to themselves. They can't, you know, <laughs> hand the ball off to themselves. There's just things, you know, of that nature where they're dependent on Frank being able to play well and get the ball to them. So uh, when they did, 
I thought they were both played really well. And I just mentioned the Leroy Watson touchdown. He had a streak down the middle. As much as we think of Leroy as just a big blocking tight end, he does have hands, and we have seen him catch passes before. And in fact, under the under Frank Wilson, he was catching the ball a little bit more and going into coverage. Uh, or I'm sorry, going into uh, some pass routes. It's just that now his role is more blocking because he is so skilled at that, much like Oscar. Um, and the one thing on Leroy Watson, um, so we went to the Jeff Trailer radio show earlier this week. Leroy Watson was one of the players that was there that was interviewed. So I did get to meet him, you know, talk to him for a little bit. So I was really excited to see him, especially in this game, get that touchdown. It was a really great moment, special moment for him. It was his first touchdown of the season, um, and I was really excited to see him. Yeah, and, and even then, it's been mentioned a few times, but we'll mention it again. Like, Trailer at, during that radio show mentioned that, you know, they were waiting for a big play from him anyway. And here it is. So I think that made it even more special for you because I think you had an extra smile um, from that. And Well, I think it's because, you know, I got to talk to him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what why. it was. <laughs> that's what it was. Which, by the way, um, he is probably one of the nicest people ever. I mean, Absolutely. He had the biggest smile throughout when people were coming up and talking to him. Um, there's such a genuineness to him, I guess, if that's the right word. Right. Um, that he, he's just... It's just an infectious. And so um, I couldn't help but smile, too, when I saw him talking to every single fan. Josh Cephas, like I said, had a really good game, too. Um, you know, I, I don't know that you could say a lot of stuff too much more about Josh. I mean, obviously, we've gushed about how great he's been this year. It's just weird at times because you just can't focus on one receiver. And sometimes Frank just focuses on one receiver during the game. And that's who gets the, the plays. Yeah. Uh, Zakari had a great play early in the game. Uh, one-handed catch, then drew a personal foul to get some extra yards. Uh, and then I, I thought JT um, played well. Um, it, you know, he was crucial, I think, in one of Cephas's uh, touchdowns, uh, or actually Cephas's touchdown, uh, in which he managed not to um, have some sort of black in the back. So, you know, again, you see these guys making plays when given the opportunity. Yeah, and just wanted to mention, um, Josh Cephas had a career-high tying eight catches for a career-high 106 yards and a touchdown. It was his first career 100-plus yard game. Very nice. Congrats, Josh. So let's move on to the defensive side. And again, I think the defense played really well all together. I just felt like they were um, actually crucial to this uh, win. And obviously, I think, um, you know, if you listen to any post-game Conf- uh, post-game conferences, <laughs> um, the big deal was the fact that the defense came up to play. And honestly, look, getting gashed for under 200 yards should not be a, a negative seen on this defense. Uh, any team can potentially do that to us. But again, with a weird offense happening, it this can actually be sort of different to view. So, um, you know, again, it was around 180 yards that they gave up which we would take any any game. I mean, if right. we can hold if we can hold UAB to that. Holy cow. We we're, we're going to be so excited. But um, you know, I th- I thought that uh, Jamal Ligon and uh, Corey Mayfield, obviously Corey Mayfield's biggest impact was at the end of the game. Uh, and that's when the coaches really started crowding the line of scrimmage and then sending Corey in on a blitz. And the couple times or the few times they kept doing that, it really messed up uh Southern Miss's progress. So they couldn't get into back into a rhythm, and it, it really just threw things off for them. So 
the other one was just Jamal Ligon. I just felt like he played well in the middle. Um, but, you know, again, I didn't feel like it was player of the game type mentioned. It was just more like, yeah, he played well. But so many guys on the defensive end played well. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, swarming to the ball, you know, making some gang tackling. So, you know, put this all together, and it was really good defensive team win. Um, the offense, obviously, like I said, it had some moments, but... You know, overall, I didn't feel like anybody really stood out. So, Corey, Jamal, Josh, Leroy, you guys played really well and hope you soak it up this week. Before we go, a quick update on UTSA basketball. It was a rough first week of play for the basketball teams. The men's team started strong with a 97-66 to win over Trinity, but then they were clobbered by Oklahoma, 96-44. The Trinity game gave us a good look, I think, at what the Roadrunners want to look like this season, spreading the ball around to more scores, um, playing a little tougher on defense. Um, obviously, the Oklahoma team, that game, they were just really outmanned. The women, on the other hand, dropped both of their games. They lost to um, SFA 75-50 to and then to Abilene Christian 72-53. to Coach Aston had been very honest in her assessment of the team. She said, this is a rebuilding year trying to build in an up-tempo offense. Um, you could see that she what she was trying to install, but she really just does have a lack of experience playing at the D1 level on the team. So there's a lot of learning that's going to happen this year, but you could definitely see the effort and you could see kind of what she's trying to get to in the play this year. Yeah, I would say there's there certainly is a problem, I think, for both teams, um, and that's just shot makers. Like, one of the reasons why the men's team was – got clobbered by Oklahoma was they just couldn't make a shot. Like they just could not hit the side of the barn as they would say. Um, and, and that's the problem with the, the women's team is that they just have a lot of pro- a lot of problems with their offense. So that's just going to hamper your, your season right away. Yeah. Um, lots of games coming up though. Um, and opportunities for fans to go out and see the teams and hopefully give them the encouragement they need to turn things around. Um, the men will be at home for their next six games. Um, this week, they are playing Monday at 7.30 against a Commerce. They're playing Tuesday at 7.30 against Denver and Wednesday at 4.30 against IUPUI. The women will be at home on the 18th, which is Thursday. They're playing 7 p.m. against Texas State. And then both the men's and women's team will be at home on Sunday the 21st. They have a doubleheader. The women are playing at noon against UIW and the men are playing at 3 p.m. against a Corpus Christi. All the games of the historic combo. <laughs> yes, at the lovely historic combo. Um, so you want to get into your UAB preview since that's what we got to look forward to next week? Yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and do that. Um, I will just preface this by saying that I, I haven't, I've seen UAB play. I haven't really dug deep and wasn't able to dig as deep this week as I had before, um, just because I really wasn't able to get into the game, um, their game against Marshall. That said, there, there really much, isn't much to learn if you've seen them from previous seasons. Uh, you know, they're good. Bill Clark just manages to, every single season, uh, just to have UAB in contention. And there's a reason why they're uh, always champs. It's because they have a high level of competition uh, in, in, in themselves. And, uh, you know, while I would say their individual parts aren't always pretty, just when they get on that field, like, they just happen to just come together. So um, Dylan Hopkins is their quarterback, and um, he's throwing to 
his top receiver is their tight end Garrett Prince. Um, and then if not, he's throwing to his wide receiver, wide receiver uh, Trey Shropshire. Here's the deal though with these wide receivers at UAB: they're not very fast. A Zachary Franklin or a Josh Cephas, even a JT Clark would probably be seen as speedsters on the UAB um, wide receiver core. That's not to say that they're not good. It's just that there's no way that they should be getting behind our defense unless we really break down. I'm not trying to jinx this. I'm just saying. like <laughs> That's just not something. Um, but this team is based around the ground game. Kind of like UTSA. Dwayne McBride is their top running back. I, he is just a bruiser that you call a bruising running back. I mean, he, he just is able to really uh, be physical uh, when he runs. So that's, I think, going to be something to watch for on offense. I mean, obviously, because I said that they like to run the game, I'm sorry, have a good rushing game, um, they will fit into sort of like, I would say, the, uh, the UTSA defense strength. There's a difference here, though. This UAB team can execute, and that's part of the problem, is that you had a essentially a Rice team before that their strength was running the ball. You had a UTEP team that their strength was running the ball, but they don't have the level of play that UAB does. On defense, I would just say that they have overall good speed. They've had a lot of um, injuries, so you know it's just going to be tough to kind of drive on them. This, I would say, this UTSA offense is going to need to be efficient. You know, something that we saw against UTEP, something that we saw against, you know, La Tech, Rice, previous games that we've seen, even Western Kentucky. Make sure that, you know, we're making the most out of every possession. And if anything, that's what the Southern Miss game should have taught this offense is that you need to make sure to execute and to be efficient uh, when you have the ball. Here's the biggest kryptonite for UAB. Will they stay disciplined, or are there going to be flags all over the place? Mm-hmm. They've still managed to win games, but yesterday against Marshall, they had six flags. They haven't had below seven penalties since Tulane, the Tulane game, and I think it was that was like four games into the into the season, which is nuts because they're usually getting about double digits in terms of uh, penalties, and for such a talented team, it's just weird to see the fact that they're actually like. So undisciplined in terms of their flag, uh, in terms of penalties. However, I did say that there's been a lot of injuries, so you know that obviously leads into it. But I wouldn't say that it started because of injuries. It's just been a problem all season. They, I think, if they're not the top, the most flag team in in college football, they're at the very least second, and that doesn't really help you in terms of winning games. It just makes it that much more difficult. And I, you know, I think that's the scary part for. Uh, Conference USA fans is UAB. If they just clean that up, they really would be a much better team. For my too early prediction, it was very difficult for me because I was initially thinking, really going to come out and just predict a, a loss. Not based on what we saw against Southern Miss, but mostly just based on just this level of play that UAB is going to force upon um, UTSA. You know, I said at the very beginning of this podcast that Southern Miss did what I thought UAB was going to do, which was pressing the receivers and then really forcing Frank to really beat them with sort of, you know, with field of vision, uh-huh. trying to hit a third, fourth, fifth wide, res- you know, receiver out. And the more and more that I thought about it, the more and more I had looked at what UAB has done, you know, it really came down to the fact that to me, UTSA isn't committing penalties. UAB is. And I just don't think you can count on the fact that UAB stays 
completely disciplined throughout mm-hmm. this whole game. So for me... Especially not if we have the crowd the way that we did this past game. If we can get a really loud crowd in and we can keep them engaged in the game, I think that will also help UAB to get frustrated. I mean, certainly not necessarily with the fall, all of the false starts and delay games, that kind of type of penalty that we saw from Southern Miss, but I do think that could get in their head a little bit and maybe make them, you know, be less disciplined. Sure, but I, I think the other thing is, is that a lot of their penalties that I've seen have also been um, personal fouls. Mm-hmm. So I will say this. I think that there's been a lot of games that have been chippy for UTSA. UTEP was, was the latest one. Even this game got a little chippy at times. I just think that UTSA can keep their head. At least I, I think so right now. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows, you know, later down the this week that, you know, maybe they, they get, you know, there's something that shows that they're not going to stay disciplined. But, you know, UTSA just needs to handle business. Um, and I think for my for my prediction for next week, it's going to be 24-21 UTSA. I think this thing goes down to the final drive against UAB. I, this is going to be one of those games, to me, that would be weird if it's a route either way. Right. I think it's... I really do think that this is just going to be a tight game. And so, you know, if you've got fingernails and you are bad at, like, chewing your fingernails... I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be chewing on during this game because this game is going to drive you nuts. So um, apparently what you're saying is I'm going to be chippy with you this game. Yeah, that's, that's, what your also, prediction? that's okay. also why I brought it up earlier, who said, mm-hmm. I think you're going to get snippy with me. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody Probably. sitting around us, <laughs> she's going to get snippy. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I think you know a lot of this is going to come down to how does the team shake off what happened this week? How does Frank show up? You know, does he... You know, we're not really sure what was causing the issues with Frank. If it was a lingering, ish, you know, injury issue, does he get past that? Is it a confidence issue? Can he shake it off? Can he? I mean, we need the Frank Harris that played against Western Kentucky to show up and play this game so that we can pull it off. And you know, all of the other factors. We need you know the defense to play as well as they have to be disciplined. We need special teams to show up. But you know, really, this is going to come down to you know, can we get a rhythm on our offense? Thanks for joining us in the Hail Mary podcast. I'm May Toves. And I'm the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap our game against UAB. Birds up.